The most expensive mistake any biopharmaceutical company can make is to have the clinical trials run long. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. The reason running long is so very expensive is because you lose not just the time to get to patients or the time to get market access, but you also lose the time at the very end of the process, right before loss of exclusivity. You lose the time that would have been your most valuable time, the time you would have made hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars in your last year on the market. Today on the Cineos Health Podcast, I'm joined by Kelly Malloy and Eleanor Doyle from our clinical team at Cineos Health running the clinical trial marathon at a sprint next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Kelly Malloy, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Tell me your title, Kelly. I'm Executive Vice President and General Manager within Cineos Health Clinical Solutions Group. So you work with clinical trials across, say, one very large client. You're working for a very large client right now, and you've done that in the past with another very large client. You work to help them really understand how to accelerate their clinical trials. What do you have to do? I mean, how do you do it? You're just stuck, right? There's just data and people. I think some of the things that we do are organized with the clients to best meet their needs and work with them to identify ways that we can deliver clinical trials differently. We work with them to bring technology to the forefront and find new and innovative ways to connect with patients. I think some of those things include electronic medical records, electronic informed consents, direct-to-patient outreach, virtual trials. I think all of these things are changing the industry. You know, I've been in the industry for over 27 years, and in the time that I've been here, we started with a paper case report forms that got reviewed by multiple groups. We're now in the age where technology and digital is being used more and more. We have new and exciting medical advances that we can bring forward, and I think clients are looking for us to leapfrog from what we're doing today and find solutions for them that will make a difference. It's important as we work with clients that we partner with them and leverage the innovations that we have within our organization as well as within the industry to change the landscape, to make it easier for patients to connect to trials, to make it easier for patients to understand what a clinical trial is. I think that's a big hurdle we have yet to overcome in this industry. Every time I've heard about clinical trials and people complaining about clinical trials from the industry side, it's always been recruitment is too slow. I can't even think of another complaint that's one-tenth of that complaint. What is it about recruitment that makes it hard, and how do you speed it up? I think one of the things that makes it hard is that we're not yet at just the basic of standard of care for research. Research is done separately. Institutions have to sign up and agree to do research. It's not part of their everyday treatment for patients. It's not something that patients can opt into just at their regular clinic or even at an urgent care clinic. They have to understand what research is first and then sign up to participate. And there are risks associated with it for the patients, but it is a controlled setting. So there are safety precautions for the patients as well. There's patients out there that think that you have to pay to participate in clinical research, and that's just not true. 
have these things changed in the past few years that it makes it longer to get to clinical trials and get enrolled? Is that because the paperwork burden is more? Or is this just the same problem that we've always had in the industry and you just have to be good at it? I think some of it is the same problem we've always had. I do think we've layered on a little bit more paperwork. We have become more bureaucratic. However, regulatory agencies are actually looking at ways that we can streamline the process. They're encouraging electronic informed consents and other data methods to reach patients in a different way, which is something we haven't seen before. I think they're really seeing the advantages that technology can bring to patient healthcare overall and the new medicines and treatments that are out there that could help save lives. When you're recruiting for a clinical trial, are there different ways of recruiting that we really haven't thought about before, haven't really employed in the past, or is it really the same? We've, we have to go out and recruit the sites and the sites recruit for us. I think we're doing more to facilitate what the sites have available to them. I also think there are patient groups and community groups that are much more vocal and involved in bringing forward needed treatments. So I think there are things that are changing. I just don't think it's changing quite as fast as you would expect. And I think there are elements of technology that are available that we aren't yet using in the industry. And I know that our organization is looking at ways that we can leverage the technology and the information available to support patients in their choices as they look toward their healthcare environment. I guess at a basic level, if you're trying to recruit a clinical trial, you have to get the clinical trial protocol set up, et cetera. And then you have to find the patients. Am I missing something else that you have to do? Is it, or is that really it? Or am I being too too simple? Quite frankly, I think that's really it. But how we get there has become more complex. And I think bringing the trials to patients is one of the biggest changes we have to make as an industry. What do you mean by that, bringing the trials to patients? So I think as we look at ways that we can incorporated in standard of care so that they have it as an option when they go visit their regular practitioner, not that they have to go to a specialty site. I also think that we need to make it easier for them to participate. We need to give options that aren't where working people have to take time away from their jobs, their families, but make it part of their standard of care. Standard visits have alternatives for physician visits. And we've done that in small ways in the industry, but it's something we really need to be taking forward in a much bigger way than we've been able to. And I think in this industry, there is an appetite for that, but also a concern. No one wants to be first and have it fail. So small steps are being taken within the industry right now. And talk me through that a little bit. So I go to my regular primary care physician. And they say, well, you could take, and they name four hypertension medicines and they have pluses and minuses, or you could take a clinical trial. Am I at the clinical trial site then? It's just my primary care physician. Like, do you have to have signed up that physician to be in the, the clinical trial? Or is there some other way to reach out and somehow pull patients in from everywhere? Right now, the primary physician involved in the clinical trial, the principal investigator, has to be signed up 
and approved to conduct the research by an institutional review board or ethics committee. Mm -hmm. They have to make a commitment to adhere to the standards of good clinical practices. So it could be that your primary care is an investigator or could be working with an investigator to refer you to that study. But we are tied and linked in with the study sites and the principal investigator landscape that we have. So most trials today are conducted through an institutional site and an investigator that would participate in the clinical trial. There are some trials which have been conducted that are direct to patient, but they are very few. There's oversight from physicians within that, but the direct to patient trial is not as widespread in the industry right now. I think you're going to see more of that. And as I talked about, we are looking to make it part of standard of care. There are a number of groups that we're working with that are bringing that forward. I think even in New York City, there's a couple institutions that are really making that part of the standard of care. So going to where the patients are versus having the patients needing to find a site to participate in the trial. So I'm just going to double click once on that standard Mm -hmm. of care. So if it's part of standard of care, it has to be kind of universal. Otherwise, I don't see how it's standard of care. It's standard of care for some physician in your clinical trial or direct a patient clinical trial recruitment. That then could be part of standard of care, I guess. I'm just not making quite the connection. It could be for clinical trials. There are often multiple procedures that are just part of the clinical trial because of the work and the data that we're trying to collect to analyze the drug or the compound and to determine if it's safe and effective for use. So there may be additional imaging requirements that wouldn't be something as a hypertensive patient that you would need to go to and have completed. So we might need to redo that part. But I think part of the difference between standard of care is there are more procedures that may be required in a study than there would be with just a regular physician visit. And so many times in clinical trials, there's more required of the patient, and it makes it different than routine visits and follow-up that they would have with their physician normally. So if we're talking about incorporating clinical trials into standard of care, it sounds like we're incorporating clinical trial recruitment into standard of care. Have I made that distinction right, as opposed to your, your doctor is saying, well, you could have had A, B, or C drug, and now you're going to have X, Y, Z, 339. I think it's actually both. I think we would be looking to make clinical trials simpler, and that's an initiative that's underway in addition to the general outreach, but also trying to make it simpler not just for the patient but for the investigators that would be participating and reduce the number of procedures. So last question, Kelly, if you're a member of a pharmaceutical company, if you have control of the whole deal and you have to worry about your clinical trials, what's the one thing that you do differently to make sure your clinical trials are going to recruit faster than they would have otherwise? I think it's really having a holistic strategy of your full portfolio and maximizing the connections to the patients and the investigative sites that you're working with. 
bringing technology forward to reduce the footprint and the requirements that you need within those trials. Kelly Malloy, thanks so much for being on the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you. We're joined next by Eleanor Doyle from our clinical team. Eleanor Doyle, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you. What do you do for the company? I'm a senior vice president in our strategic resourcing group. Strategic resourcing group, that's clinical trial management, yes? Correct, yes. Okay. FSP specifically is what we specialize in. And, and FSP means? Functional service provider. So those are the ones that work across the industry. Uh, you work on one functional level. You do one thing right for many, many trials as opposed to running the whole trial at once. Correct. Yes. Usually it's um, one particular function, like all of monitoring or all of data management, one particular function we'll do across studies. That reminds me of like a factory where you get very, very good at one thing and you do that one thing very well, as opposed to I build the whole car. You know, you're the one that builds the radio. Yeah, that's actually a great analogy. It really is specialization in one particular function. And by doing that for multiple sponsors, you get really good at understanding the best ways to do things and sometimes the best way not to do things. So what are the best ways to do things? What are the best ways not to do things? Let's start with not because that's kind of fun. Like, What do people do wrong when they're doing clinical trials? I think a lot of times it starts out with people, always good intentions, but I think there's always that rub between the commercial aspect of things and the science aspect of things. And those two things don't always correlate because drug trials are expensive and you have to take a lot of risks. As Einstein said, if we knew what we were doing, it wouldn't be called research. (laughs) So are you telling me that scientists don't have the most commercial sense? I I think that they usually join this industry for altruistic reasons, probably similarly to the fact that a lot of businesses are run by accountants and not the uh, designers or the, the creative people behind them. I, I say that as a, a person who has a molecular biology degree, so I'm not, I'm not trying to exclude myself from that. There's a lot of learning that has to go on for a scientist to be able to understand really how commercialization works. Well, and yeah, I don't mean to imply that they don't. I think it's that we want the clinical people and the scientific people focused on the science. That's what they're really good at. And then you need other people to worry about how to do things more efficiently, how to reduce cycle time. And that's actually why a lot of sponsors gravitate towards the FSP model, because they've gone back to focusing on what they are really, really good at, which is the science, and then outsourcing the things that they don't need to be as good at that are not necessarily core competencies of their business. So what does a scientist get wrong? that makes commercialization or at least clinical trial cycle times long? I don't know that it's necessarily wrong. I think it's just like anything. If you've been at a company for one particular or doing something for a very long time um, the same way, it's helpful to have somebody else come in and say, hey, you know, we tried this over here and this worked out very successfully. Have you thought about doing it this way instead? And I think that's something that we, with our level of expertise and the breadth of sponsors that we work with, that we can bring that expertise to the customer. Okay. So what do we do differently? Like, really, what do we do differently? Um, Lots of different things. It depends on the study. I think one of the things that's really interesting or good about the SRG group is we customize the solutions to this particular sponsor because a small to mid-sized sponsor that maybe has a few protocols or a few compounds will operate very differently than a mega large sponsor. And you have to tailor the solutions to fit them because change management is probably one of the hardest things that we have to manage because people don't like to change. And so you have to handhold through the process. What do we do right? I mean, other than tailor it. I mean, that, fair enough. You have to tailor it. What's the secret sauce? If there is any secret sauce at all to clinical trials, what do people not know 
when you're at a pharma company about how to make clinical trials faster and better. I think a lot of people have a lot of ideas, and I, I don't claim to be the expert necessarily for a particular situation, but I, at least from my perspective, try to keep the human element in it. A lot of the processes that we involve or that we do are somewhat mundane or repetitive, and they can get laborious and time-consuming. And I think if we remembered that at the end of the day, there's a patient waiting for a medicine or for a life-altering treatment, that that would kind of make all of us operate a little faster or a little differently. And it's the onus is on all of us to try and look for better ways to do things and maybe to think about ways that haven't even been thought about yet to do something and to continually try and evolve, particularly as medicine and as studies evolve. I, I agree with you. If we thought that a patient were waiting for a drug, if we really had that patient in mind, we'd probably act a little differently. I know that if I'm rushing to the hospital with my car as opposed to driving to work, it's a different experience. It is. And I think you see some of those movies that have that out there, you know, people whose children or loved ones were affected by orphan diseases and who went out and specialized in those drugs themselves because they had that level of passion to do that. And that's hard to maintain on a day-to-day -day basis. But I try to keep that in the back of my mind if it was my child or my loved one that I'd do this just a little bit quicker than I probably would otherwise. Is that what it is? Just all the little places where we have slack in the system because people are human and they wouldn't really work as fast if you don't keep that in mind? Or is there something big? I think there's a lot of inefficiencies built into the system, into the processes, into the end-to-end, -end, and we need to constantly look at ways to remove that waste from the process. And it's in lots of different ways. I mean, if you have three different people do the same process, they'll do it differently. Inherently, they will. And so you're trying to find ways to compress that time so that you don't have all of this waste built into the system. What's the biggest waste point you've seen? I think inefficiencies that are built into the system from the beginning. So for site selection, for example, we recruit way more sites than we know we're going to need necessarily because we know there's going to be a 50% fallout rate. That seems sort of crazy that you have to build in a 50% cushion into a timeline because a site is going to fail or won't recruit patients for whatever reason. And there isn't a silver bullet to that answer yet, but it's definitely something that needs to be a focus. How do we get studies up and started quicker and how do we get the right sites and the right patients in the right places at the right times? Sounds really simple, but that's probably one of the Achilles heels of the whole process. So sites themselves just never turn into patient? Is that what we're talking about? And just kind of go offline, go dark? I just what, what does that mean? Well, I think a lot of people, like I said, are altruistic about doing studies. And, and, you know, people who are interested in the science want to do that. But, you know, running a trial is a very complicated process. And so there's a lot of data that has to be entered. There's a lot of things that have to be followed up on, a lot of processes, a lot of things that have to be learned and protocols to follow. And, and that maybe is hard to do on a day-to-day -day basis if you're also treating patients and you've got a life and you've got everything else going on. So a, a site might think they want to do a study and, and have all the best intention in the world, but then just struggle to recruit patients or to do things from there on in. Are you seeing a difference ex-US versus US? That sort of propensity to drop out? Well, there's a whole other challenges on global studies in, in beginning with the fact that studies started in the U.S. and are extrapolating from there. So there isn't the level of skill necessarily or resources in some of the emerging markets. There just simply isn't people with 30 years of experience running a, a drug trial in, in certain countries, or there aren't enough people trained to run the, the studies. And we're seeing that as more and more studies move outside the United States, that there's a resource constraint. So that then causes issues, particularly 
if you're trying to access patients in countries that have diseases that maybe we don't have in the U.S. anymore or symptoms and things like that. What's the most exciting thing you've done for a client when you're helping them run their clinical trials? I think being part of a study that, uh, I mean, I think anybody would say this is being part of a study that makes it to market when you actually see a life-altering medicine come out and you know that patients are being treated with it and that it's really making a difference. And I have friends across the world, people who have children who have, you know, very, very complicated systemic diseases and they're having access to drugs that we have worked on. And that's very professionally and personally gratifying. Eleanor Doyle, thanks so much for joining us on the Cineos Health Podcast. Pleasure. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you have comments, suggestions, questions, or if you just want to talk to a particular challenge that you have at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at cineoshealth.com. That's S-Y-N-E-O-S health.com. We're consultants. That's what we do.